You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Now, uh, so in this final message of the Golgotha series, um, we were we walked with Jesus, so to speak, uh, from the Last Supper to the to the cross, and then out of the grave, as Mark Cole preached that wonderful message on Easter Sunday for about the resurrection. And uh, today, what we're going to do is is kind of go back to where Justin Gwynn started. Uh, he started by talking about two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to take that to two crowns, uh, two different kind of crowns that... Uh, Jesus uh, wears as our King and as our Savior. Um, I want to start by reading a passage out of Job. I'm going to be jumping around to a lot of scriptures today. So uh, here's the first one, Job chapter 19, verses 8 through 12. And uh, I just had some time to think, some time to reflect this week. And um, as I was reading through scripture, I, I, I was noticing how often the word crown shows up in scripture. It seems to be a very important word to God. And it shows up in the book of Job. And, and here's what he says. Uh, this is Job's dialogue here. He says, of God, he has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And my hope, he has pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramps against me and they encamp around my tent. Now, if you know the story of Job, you know that he was going through probably the most difficult circumstances that anybody could imagine in life. He had lost his entire family. He had lost his livelihood. Uh, um, he had lost um, his health. And, uh, it, you know, it, it was worse than the current situation that we are in right now. And in that description that he just gave us in that passage, um, you can see that Job is feeling uh, pretty, pretty beat pretty defeated. Um, we might even use the word forsaken. Uh, there, it's very possible that at this time, at this low, low time of Job's life, that you might think, well, God, where are you? It just seems like everything is against me. It even feels like you are against me. Well, this is where my time of uh, just pausing and thinking kind of kicked in. And, and as I was looking at that passage, I realized I never knew that in the book of Job there was a messianic prophecy like that. Because if you look at these words that Job was saying about his situation, they are exactly parallel to what Christ was going through as he went to the cross for my sins and for your sins. The dismay that, uh, that he was feeling at that time was just a small sampling of the dismay that Jesus Christ would feel by going to the cross. And if you think about it, you can go back and look at that text in Job chapter 19, and you can look at these these parallels that are in there. In the same way, Jesus Christ had his glory stripped away. Um, The crown of heaven was taken away from Jesus and replaced by a crown of thorns. 
He was broken down. He was gone. Hope was uprooted like a fallen tree the day Jesus died on that cross. And during that darkness that descended upon the earth, those three hours that Jesus hung on that cross, those part of that time that Jesus hung on that cross, God's wrath was on him. And Jesus was, for a time, counted as God's adversary, as my sins and all of humanity's sins came upon Jesus in that moment. And we know that that was the time in which Jesus cried out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the, the ugly, ugly price, the cost of sin. Um, we've only had a sampling of it, but Jesus had it all, all of it at once. So we know in the Gospels, there's the story of Jesus and his trials before Pilate and, and Herod. And it was during his time with Pilate that um, the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus um, and they scorned him. And we're told in Matthew twenty-seven twenty-nine that they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. When you read Mark and Luke and John, you get other details added to this weaving of the, the crown. And, uh, and one of those is that the soldiers placed the, the thorns upon Christ's head and they took that reed that was supposed to be a scepter. Um, they took that, that, that fake scepter and they actually used it to beat Jesus on the head. So you know what that means? They, they hammered that crown into his head. And whenever I read about the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and, and I look at the details of everything that happened to him, um, it, it just, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it's hard to even talk about. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to, th- to think about. When Mel Gibson made the movie The Passion of the Christ, um, it was grotesque, but it still um, didn't show us the full effect of all that Jesus Christ suffered for our sake. And uh, so today we're looking at that crown, that element of what Jesus Christ uh, did for us. And here's what we need to remember in the midst of this very, very ugly situation, is that God was at work. Um, God had not left his throne. God had not gone away and, and just given up on humanity. In fact, at this point, this is where God was doing his most for humanity. And what looks like an utter defeat is being replaced by victory. Now, as I said, we started this series with two gardens, and those two gardens promise a third garden. And in those gardens, we saw, as Justin reminded us, betrayal, both in Eden and in Gethsemane. Questions being asked of God or by God. There was separation. But even in the midst of all that, there was still a promise of redemption, a promise of restoration, a promise that some way God would reunite fallen mankind to himself. That was the beginning of this series. And now at the end of this series, we go to two crowns. And those two crowns, in a way, just like the gardens, promise a third. Now here's something interesting about these crowns. Both of them grow in a garden. Okay, 
Thorns grow in gardens to our dismay. <laughs> uh, leaves grow in a garden. And I should probably clarify that we often think of crowns, you know, like especially the crown of Jesus as the king as being some kind of um, gold uh, metal ringlet about his head, where in reality in that time a crown was woven out of leaves. Uh, we have the victor's crown. The, the prize that's given at the Olympics at one day was a, a, a wrap of laurel or olive leaves about one's head. And if you think about that, that's God used the substance that comes out of gardens for both the crown of thorns and for the crown of victory. Uh, I found this interesting, too, that if I go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, where we know that uh, Adam and Eve uh, forsook God and tried to replace them with the, or him with themselves, uh, that that's where all of mankind's problems started. That's what we typically call the fall of mankind. But I want you to go a little bit before that, because it says that when God created everything, he called it good. But when he created man, male and female, when he created mankind, he said this was very good. So we might say that in all of creation, mankind was God's crowning achievement. And then he told Adam and Eve that they were to rule over this entire creation that he had made. So in a sense, he had just crowned them as his sub-viceroys of, of maintaining and, and being stewards over all that he has made. Now, we know that after the fall that God made skins. He made clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness that they had just discovered. So I don't think it would be too far to imagine that God might even plucked out of some of the leaves in the garden and himself by his own hand wove crowns to place upon their heads when he gave them that charge to rule over his creation. Um, Maybe even out of the tree of life. Uh, he had picked those leaves. But whether he had done that or not, there, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that God crowned Adam and he crowned Eve. And he meant for every son of Adam and every daughter of Eve to continue to wear those crowns. But Adam and Eve made a choice, and that choice changed the crowns that you and I would wear and made it necessary for Jesus to take the crown of thorns uh, upon himself. You know, the coronavirus has the name Corona. It's, it's Spanish for crown. And that seems to be the thing that has captured our attention in these days. Uh, we're all talking about it. We're all dealing with it. What we're doing right now is a result of this thing. But I think, I, I think it's good for us to know that the coronavirus is nothing new that pestilence, sickness, death, famine, and war have existed for millennia in mankind's history. And it goes all the way back to the day when Adam and Eve rejected the crown that God had given to them. We're just carrying on. The coronavirus is just a coronavirus is just another stage of the decay and the brokenness that has come upon mankind because of sin, because of our rebellion against God. So when we look at these crowns, 
that Jesus wore, we see the crown made of thorns. That kind of crown has no glory. It's just shame, pain. It's being uprooted. It deals with wrath. And it resulted in the feeling of being forsaken. That is our condition apart from Jesus Christ. That is our condition when sin is ruling our lives. The second crown is the crown of laurel or olive leaves, the victor's crown. Um, when a hero would return from war during the days of the Roman Empire, that was the crown that they would place upon him as he returned victorious from battle. When someone won in an Olympic event, in the race or whatever they competed in, that was the crown that they placed on on their head. And so we would assume that that would be the crown that Jesus would have had upon his head when he rose from the grave, victorious over death, victorious over Satan, victorious over sin, victorious over the brokenness of mankind. This crown of leaves represents glory and healing and restoration and God's pleasure instead of God's wrath. It represents redemption instead of being forsaken. And as I said, those two crowns promise a third crown. And it's interesting what that third crown is. You might be surprised. Let me read Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul wrote, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so it goes back to because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you and I, can be a crown. You and I can be restored back to God's crowning achievement. And he can look upon mankind and say, it is very good. Now I can't change my condition. I can't fix the problems that are in this world and neither can you. The only solution was Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, his wearing of the crown of thorns, and his victory over the grave. Only Jesus Christ can restore you and I to being God's crowning achievement. You know, you may not feel like it. You might feel that you are just so broken, that you are so ruined, that you are so cast away into darkness, that there's no way you could be in that position again. But let me tell you, as strongly as you might feel like that, God loves you, God cares about you, and that is why he wore the crown, that is why he went to the cross, so that you didn't have to feel that way anymore, and that you could be cast back into his presence, out of the shadow and into his light, out of the shame and into his glory, away from forsakenness and into redemption. So that answers the question of why Jesus would have endured that crown, why he would have wore thorns for you and I. In the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 62, and it's the opening verses of that chapter, uh, verses 1 through 5, we have this statement which comes straight from the heart of God. Um, It's a statement about Zion. 
And Zion is an interesting term, an interesting word. Um, it didn't just mean Jerusalem and didn't just mean Israel. It was reflective of God's kingdom and, and, and God's kingdom being comprised of both Jew and Gentile alike because he wanted all the nations of the world to know his name. He wanted every single human being to come and to know who he was. And that's, that's really what Zion reflects. So here we, we see God's heart being poured out uh, from the book of Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5. That was God's promise of salvation for all mankind. And we see the the transformation that happens in that. There were terms like desolate and forsaken. That's our condition because of sin. But to be called, the Lord delights in you, married. That's our condition of grace through Jesus Christ on the cross. So when we look at Jesus and when we look at the cross, what we see there is God taking our shame and turning it into joy. Jesus Christ endured great shame in our place on the cross so that we could experience his joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this of Christ, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right, at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, that's a that's a story of his being crowned in in that sense. But did you notice what it said there about the cross? That Jesus despised its shame, but he endured it with the joy, the joy that was set before him. And and, and we might ask, well, what joy is there in the cross? What? How can there be joy in in the midst of a of a death sentence? Well, it was the result of the cross. What Jesus endured during those very, very dark hours where he felt forsaken, um, he endured because he knew what that would produce, your salvation and mine. That was the joy that held him in place to the cross. See, that's why we talk so much about the cross, because that's where our hope hangs. That's where our salvation hangs. That's where our future hangs. That's where our redemption hangs. Because a king left a throne from heaven 
to wear a crown of thorns and die on a cross in our place. If we did not have the cross, we would have nothing. We would have no peace. We would have no hope. We would have no joy. Um, Love would be an empty thing cast aside. If the cross were to be removed from our dialogue, we cannot stop talking about the cross because it's there that our shame was turned into joy. It was there where that crown of thorns would become a crown of victory. So let me close with this passage out of Second Timothy chapter 4, where Paul said in verses 6 through 8, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. It seems to indicate that Paul was going through a very difficult, dark time as well. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you know that? My friends, my brothers, my sisters, did you know that there is a crown of righteousness waiting for you if you have loved Christ's coming, his appearing, his purpose of being born and being clothed in human flesh to die upon a cross and then to be raised from the grave and to know that he's coming again as our king. If we love that, if that's where our heart is given, if that's what crowns our attention, then we have that waiting for us. So, I don't know how you're feeling in these days right now. I know that they're hard days. I know that they're difficult days. I know that even without these days of the coronavirus, that there are times in our life where we feel that we have been stripped of glory. We have been broken down. Their hope has been uprooted. And that wrath has been kindled against us. Just like Job said, and just like Jesus experienced. Well, that's why Christ came. So in these days, if you find yourself uh, confused, um, maybe frustrated at events, um, maybe these days are making you anxious or afraid, maybe you're full of worry, or maybe just weary, I beg you, turn your eyes to Jesus. Open up your heart to him. And say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to change my life. To fix what's broken in me, to restore me back into a relationship with God. Because that's what the crowns were all about. Make that decision, and there is waiting for you one day a crown of life and a crown of righteousness given by the hand of Jesus Christ.
So let's pray. Lord, this is what we ask you today. That you would take our shame and turn it into glory. That you would take the grief that's in our life and turn it into joy. We pray, God, that you would take the darkness and bring in light. We pray, God, that what is broken, you would restore. And most of all, God, we would ask that you would take that feeling of being forsaken and separated from you because of sin and make us one with you again. Lord, we pray that you would restore us back to the days before the fall in the garden, that you would look upon us as your crowning achievement. Lord, we pray that these things would happen because we need those things to happen. And Lord, we would dare not ask for such things if it were not for Jesus Christ, who set aside the throne of heaven to wear our crown of thorns so that he could rise from the dead and wear the victor's crown and one day be ready to share the same thing with us all. So God, we trust your spirit to work in our hearts as you choose. And we pray that you will make us your own fully and completely. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.